This is the first episode in the Warriors Marriage Podcast, and today I'm I'm focusing on that uh, you are not just a soldier or a spouse. You are you. And so we're going to start off this first episode focusing in on identity, because I, I genuinely believe that the evil one wants to destroy your sense of identity, your understanding of who you are, that you are, in fact, a child of the king. And so we're going to talk about identity today. And and this is going to be an important one, especially if you're listening and you're already wanting to tune out. Don't do it. Don't give up. You are clearly under attack. This is definitely a podcast episode that you want to hear. So getting into identity and who are you, right? So who are you? What is your value? What does it mean to be you? In my own journey, especially the last year, and the last year has been by far the most difficult year of my life. And what I learned last July, so about a year ago, is that first and foremost, I was having a crisis of identity. And what was hard for me to receive from my coach at that time was I had all the head knowledge. So it's not like I didn't understand identity. It's not like I didn't know how to make sure you have a healthy identity in terms of who you are in Christ. But my actions were showing that I didn't actually believe what my identity was, what it is, and therefore... I ended up in a big old honking crisis. And so the choices that we make, the way we behave, how people interact with us, or at least what they experience from us, are going to reflect who we believe we are and, frankly, what we value. So it's important not to identify just as a wife or a husband or a soldier or a marketing specialist or whatever— because you are far more than that. We get in trouble when we allow our parents or society to, def- to define who we are, right? So uh, today, <laughs> the pursuit of materialism, the pursuit of power, the pursuit of appearance. So how are we viewed by other people? We've got social media where we are getting constant and typically negative feedback about our identity. We are in an identity crisis over race and racism and bigotry. And, you know, from my perspective, it all just seems that we're missing the mark because we don't have a healthy identity as individuals, as a country, and it's getting us in a lot of trouble. So identity may be acquired, right? So who you believe you are, you are going to be impacted by your parents your peers, other role models, children. So as a child, you tend to define yourself in terms of how your parents see you. So if your parents saw you as worthless, then you're going to come to define yourself as worthless. People who perceive themselves as likable may remember more positive the negative statements. Isn't that interesting? 
So if, if you perceive and your identity is that you're worthless, I'm no good, I don't deserve it, that's how you're going to see the, light, the, the world around you. But if you perceive yourself as valuable, likable, right? I can't avoid the Stuart Smalley reference. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough and doggone it. People like me. Just that change in identity alone, going from unlikable to likable, is going to impact how you perceive the world around you. And you're going to perceive things and you're going to remember things more positively than negatively. So if you want to be more satisfied in your relationship, what I'm trying to explain today is if you're wanting to live in harmony in your marriage, in parenting, with your friends, with your extended family, you have to know who you really are. And who you really are is not a reflection of the life around you, right? So you aren't just a wife. You aren't just a husband. You aren't just a warrior, a soldier, a business person, a homeschool person, or anything, frankly, of this world. You are what you prioritize in life. The problem is we often define ourselves as other people define us. When people are doing what they think they should be doing, we tend to be happier. So when we understand our priorities, when we understand our purpose, then we are going to be more satisfied in life. When crisis hits, when difficult times hit, when things feel dark, it's that, it's that image of myself and it's my what I value and it's what I believe my purpose is that can carry me through. So what we want to start off doing here in order to have a healthy self-worth, a healthy identity, a purpose, and, and a value system that, that our actions actually show and prove out, uh, Warren Sussman, who's a historian, in his book, Culture is History, the use of the phrase, this is what he was talking about, the use of the phrase, quote, good character, kind of peaked in the 19th century. Character was a key word in the vocabulary of Englishmen and Americans, says Sussman, and so important to society that it was promoted as an essential component of one's identity. But we're starting to lose that. We're starting to land in a, in a, in a cultural thinking that says, hey, I get to be me regardless of you. And if you don't agree with me and what my values are and what I think is important, then you're bad. You're evil. And so we're projecting this stuff on those around us. And what we have to do is that we have to do the right thing. But you can't even do the right thing if you don't know what the right thing is to do, right? So I'm, you know, here at the beginning, I'm saying your words and actions tell others who you really are. And it's not limited to a single value, but the traits are demonstrated in the good choices we make and the bad choices we avoid. So what are some of the character traits worth growing into? Character traits like integrity, honesty, loyalty, respectfulness, responsibility, humility, compassion, fairness, forgiveness. That's just nine of them. If you're interested, go to smalleyinstitute.com and click on this 
podcast, which is The Warrior's Marriage, Episode 1, I have a list of 25 key character traits that we have to start adopting in terms of who we are. This is who I am. I'm encouraging. I'm ambitious. I'm considerate. I'm thorough. So how do you build these into your life? Well, here's what I did to stumble onto the path towards really accepting and living out who I am in Christ, what my, who my identity really is, right? So I started with defining and reminding myself, frankly, of my core values. So what is most important to me? And honestly, I got two things. My core values are to love God and love others. But it's not enough just to define those core values. And, and that's where I was really blowing it over the last year is, yeah, sure, my core value is loving God and loving others. But, you know, a lot of my words, a lot of my actions weren't showing it. So one of the ways that I poorly coped, which I poorly coped before gastric bypass with overeating and really developing a miserable food addiction. But post that, when sort of I took care of that one and and I got past that one and I got a lot of healing over that one, when things got stressful again, especially in my relationships, I stumbled back into another poor coping mechanism, which was drinking. And I allowed my drinking to get out of control. I mean, I'm telling you, it wasn't just... You know, it's 5 o'clock somewhere. It was like, it's 2 in the morning somewhere. It's 9 in the morning somewhere. It's 2 p.m. in the afternoon somewhere. And when you cope poorly with the difficult things you're going through, especially in your relationships, obviously it's not going to help. But, you know, I'm going to pause for a second because even though I did cope poorly, the good news is I at least was aware that I was coping poorly. So it's not like I was ignorantly drinking too much. I knew, hey, drinking too much is not going to help you. It's not going to make this current crisis any better. But And maybe some of you can relate to this. It was like, but this is what I'm doing. <laughs> so I'm choosing to do this. But even though I was poorly coping, and I want you to hear this and receive this. So if if you don't like what I'm about to say, then pause, rewind, and listen to it again. Because just, just though I was sinning and I was behaving poorly and I was coping terribly by overdrink, it doesn't mean that there weren't also good things happening at the same time simultaneously. So I know that, yeah, I was coping poorly with, with alcohol, but I was also learning some really critical things that I needed to learn. Many of them were brand new insights and self-actualization that I hadn't had yet. One of the biggest was realizing that my one of my core values, which is not healthy, was to avoid pain in relationships. And so a lot of my decisions, choices, and actions, and behaviors centered around, I don't want to have to experience pain. I don't want to get yelled at. I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to hurt someone's feelings. I don't want to go through something negative. And so I coped with that through passivity and timidity. And I started making leaps and bounds in terms of embracing not only who I am, but recognizing that, look, even though I have failed as a leader in my home and in my community, that doesn't mean 
that I have to continue that way. Not, not on any level. What it meant was, A, it's time to put my foot down. It's time to step up. And it's never too late to make that change. So even though I knew I needed to stop my excessive drinking, even though I knew I needed to stop avoiding pain, uh, I did some dumb things, but I also did some really good things. And, and, and which was another one of the big lessons from this last year is, is really understanding and accepting that I'm both, I am both amazing and insightful and self-actualized and, and helpful and serving and kind to others. And I'm also evil. I'm also broken and I'm sinful and I do poor coping and, and both things can be true simultaneously. What we don't want to do is get focused in and only think about the negative things I'm doing or experiencing. I also I, I really want to focus in on what is good, what is good character, what is integrity. You know, what are the things that are good about me? That's where I want my focus. The bad stuff or the evil things that I'm doing, those are deals that I need to address. Those are things that I need to not be, I don't need to just accept them. And, you know, the Apostle Paul says that, look, you're going to sin, but don't ever become comfortable in your sin. So even though I kept choosing to drink and drink too much, I, I honestly was never comfortable with it. I really wasn't. even. And, and just because I didn't stop right away doesn't mean that I was comfortable with it. It took me, honestly, from September... August, around there, through all the way to March, for me to finally kind of realize, and I honestly think it was a Holy Spirit moment, but it was like I suddenly realized, holy cow, when you don't handle yourself well with your wife, well with your kids, well with someone else, the majority of the time, you get triggered to an excessive level that, that, that was causing me, and these were choices, obviously, but that were causing me to respond to, to hurtful or negative interactions in really negative, hurtful, uh, destructive ways. And, and I wasn't able to maintain the integrity. I wasn't able to maintain one of my primary purposes, which is to love others, to honor others, if I had been drinking. And so it was March when I finally was like, okay, you need to stop. You need to, you need to get off of this train because it's not worth breaking one of two. Well, really, and I was dishonoring God because ultimately I wasn't trusting him to take care of me. Right. So I've said for years and my wife says that whatever crisis you're in is a faith crisis. Ultimately, do I believe Christ is going to keep his promises? Is he going to care for me? Is he going to take this terrible tragedy or trauma or pain that I'm experiencing? Is he going to use it for good? Is he going to use it to mature me? Is he going to use it for his glory? And God gets all the glory for this last year. Because, <laughs> man, I'm telling you, there were not just one time, two times, three times. There were so many times that I thought, I'm not going to make it. This is not going well. And so if you're going to build in your life a healthy self a healthy identity of who you are in Christ, then define your core values, live them out, surround yourself. This is the third thing I did. Surround yourself with good people. 
So I had back in the fall a really dark morning. And honestly, you know, I've shared before with the eating problem, and I called the term passively, <laughs> passively suicidal, uh, you know, where I was basically drinking or not drinking, but eating. And I sort of landed in this area like, I don't care. So what if I die early? That was kind of that path. Well, last fall, I was full-blown suicidal. I was like, I, it just got dark. And, and looking back on it, I know a, a gigantic part of it was spiritual warfare. Um, part of it was my coping mechanism of drinking because if you're in a rough time and you're drinking to cope with it and to self-soothe through alcohol, then you don't typically end up very happy. And so it was just this really dark morning where I let it all pile onto me. And it was the first time in my life I thought about that nine millimeter handgun that I have in my house. And I thought, I think it's time because this is too painful, too miserable to continue enduring. So I need to get out and praise God that I had already. I, and I've, you know, I've had good people around me forever. That's That's been a, a priority of mine. But I reached out to two of them, Seth, who used to, you know, co-host this very podcast with me, and my closest friend here, Casey. And I said, guys, I was honest. I was humble. It was not an easy phone call to make. But I reached out to both of them. I think by the grace of God, they both answered. And I said, something's not right. I genuinely want to kill myself this morning. And neither of them hesitated. I don't even know if they said, I'll be right over I just know that the next thing I knew, they were there. They were there encouraging me. They were there supporting me. They were there listening. They were there empathizing and validating my suffering and the misery that I was going through. And so if you're going to develop, if you're going to land on a really strong, healthy identity, surround yourself with good people. And then the fourth thing, which is almost the first thing that you need to do is you got to commit to getting better, right? And committing to getting better, I, I'm just, you need coaching, coaching, and more coaching. You need a third party. You need someone wiser, smarter, healthier, more mature than you. Uh, you'll need experts over the years. You're going to need mentors over the years. You're going to need pastors and friends and and people that you allow to influence you. And and it was about the end of June when God finally gave me my first coach over the last year. And, and Jim and I spent six months together working on me. I, uh, and, and God really used him with the passivity and timidity crap and the avoiding, you know, the avoiding pain junk. But then once that came to a close... Not that I was finished growing. I'm still growing. I'm still learning because we're all going to be tempted to go backwards, right? Because I've lived a certain way, especially within passivity and timidity, basically all my life. So it's a part of the change process to kind of slip up and trip and, and stumble backwards and because we're comfortable with what we know, even if what we know is not working and it's dysfunctional. At least we know. And we have an idea of what to expect and how, how life is going to turn out. It's scary making change. But after six months, that was that had come to a really good close. And then God used DBT therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy, because my negative thinking had gotten totally out of control. And I was ruminating constantly on 
the negative things that were happening, you know, in my life. And DBT therapy came to the rescue. And, and, and then, you know, Lord just threw both my wife and I in with a coaching relationship uh, with a psychiatrist here locally, a Christian psychiatrist who we cannot thank enough, I cannot thank enough, uh, Dr. Paul Looney, which is genuinely the greatest psychiatrist name in the history of all mankind, L-O-O-N-E-Y, Looney. His, uh, he has an office out you know, by his home in his backyard where he'll meet with you at times. And his Wi-Fi network is literally called the Looney Bin. So we got we started meeting with him, and and the part of his role in our life was helping my wife and I learn how to have difficult conversations that are important to have, by the way, and not completely spiral downward and lose control. And you know, over 25 years of marriage. We had just not done well with those hard conversations, and frankly, we just kind of started avoiding them in a significant way, and we just felt lost. And even though we teach this stuff for a living, even though I've got my master's in clinical psych and a PhD, um, you know, I can be pretty effective helping others, but I'd really allowed my own life to get off track, and I just couldn't apply what I knew to my own life into my own relationship. And so Paul, man, he forced us, golly, he had these sentence starters that were some of the scariest things that we've ever gone through. It was things like, you know, something that really makes me angry with you. And then we'd have to finish that statement. Something that I really regret, something that I need you to change. Some, I mean, it was all these really negative things that in the past would have caused my wife and I to just, boom, explode, uh, we learned ways to be able to have that conversation, keep it safe. And look, if you're not willing to have those difficult conversations with your spouse, with your children, then you're really missing out on, the, on, on a deeper level of intimacy. Those are important things. Pain is a positive thing. It is used to grow us and to build intimacy. It is not a negative thing. It only becomes negative when you leave it unresolved and you leave it undealt with and, and you refuse to manage those things well. And now, currently, I'm meeting with a wonderful man, Stephen, who is located in Colorado Springs. My brother uh, recommended him to me, and so we meet over FaceTime. Well, pretty much every week, and we've had a couple of weeks off here because of my son's wedding, and he also had a trip. But now I'm learning even more about why do I tend to go towards addiction? That is just dumb. And he's helped me. He's helped me explore that and, again, gain new insight. So that's, the, that's sort of you know, what it looks like to develop a healthy identity. Of course, there's more stuff and and if you feel like, hey, this really is a huge area, start Googling, start reading, uh, start looking around for, you know, what are the resources available to developing a healthy identity? Because they're out there. And I hope that this episode and, you know, this podcast is encouraging. Frankly, I hope it challenges you. If, the, if your identity is something that is really messed up and causing you a ton of trouble, 
then I hope this challenges you. And I hope that you receive it and that you that you recognize your identity is broken, that you define what are your core values, that you choose to live them out because it really comes down to that choice, that you become intentional about surrounding yourself with good people, and then ultimately you commit to getting better. <laughs>